Welcome to episode number 65 of Raider Cop Nation. I am your host, Alpha Mike, and we will be talking about trainer versus subject matter expert. This is part two of the two-part series, and today we're going to speak specifically about the subject matter expert. But we'll get to that in a minute. As you know, if you ever want to get in contact with us, it's very easy it's just RaiderCopNation.com. There you can go. There are sections on our website that not only you can get tactical considerations that we've looked at for you, That's um, there's a section for that, as well as upcoming shows or current and upcoming shows. You can click on that. You can hear the current show or look at all the shows that we have coming very, very soon in this 2019 that is heading our way coming faster and faster every day it seems like every year before you blink twice ho 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 is right upon you so our our schedule goes all the way down to October 2nd 2019 and that's a lot of a lot of episodes a lot of work that has to be constructed to get those shows out there not everything, of course, is carved in stone, so there may be some changes. And speaking of changes, after this show, we have uh, we had programmed uh, December 19th, Weapon of Choice, but I believe we're going to move that one uh, down to 2019, and the, 20, the December 19th show, which would be episode number 66, that's going to be the farewell of 2018. Uh, I will invite the panelists to come on and say whatever they want to say about uh, the 2018 season. And then I'm going to wrap it up for the year. And the reason for that, as some know, some might not have been paying attention. I have a, a sick parent and I have to uh, travel down to Miami and attend to that that situation so scheduling might be a little hit or miss in the future so just keep that in mind um, it's a trying time but when you build up and you train up spiritually with God you have the full armament on that he recommends for you you're ready for battle so we're heading in that direction uh, as always, don't forget to listen to our other podcast, Test Everything. And that is coming uh, quickly to an end by the end of this year, December 31st. And then we will be going to uh, about a 30-minute show, I'm predicting here, more or less. And that will be uh, twice a month. And we'll talk about every subject that we touched on, we're going to expand upon. So there's a lot of subjects, and then there's a lot that I just can't get to. 
it, it amazes me one book such as the scripture how from one text you can obtain so much knowledge wisdom and understanding that you can write volumes on that one text so the bible continues to grow and grow uh, the lord cemented he's he placed that seed and let me tell you that thing does grow and the word is definitely alive today's subject trainer versus subject matter expert we did speak about uh on the first episode of this uh 64 about the role of the trainer <clears throat> and we kind of spelled out three areas that law enforcement training has and if we look at the basic training that would be the fourth area so it's really four areas so I'm an applicant, i a civilian, I want to become a law enforcement officer. I get denied, I come in, and I receive basic training. That basic training might go from four to nine months, depending the agency and the curriculum, and that is enough to get me started at the level of proficiency that I need to enter the realm of officer or deputy and it is just basic knowledge that I've received. At that juncture, once I become a deputy or an officer, I will go ahead and finish my probation. Hopefully that is successful. And I will start to receive mandatory in-training services training that is in three formats. One, agency protocol, which your command staff deems as being a necessity for each sworn personnel in that agency during a given period of time until the entire agency is trained or certified in a specific evolution. Two, the state mandates certain protocols such as domestic violence laws and um, terrorism is on the list as well. And, um, protocols as far as uh, ethnic relationships. So whatever state you're in, they're going to have their own mandates that must, shall be covered uh, during your certificate period, which has to be upgraded every year. And of course, your, four, uh, your, your last realm is going to be a federal one. Now, if your agency is asked for a grant there might be some training attached to that grant or an expectation thereof. There might be a federal lawsuit that demands a specific evolution of training be given to that agency. Or there might be an inquiry by the Department of Justice. And as a result of that proceedings, there an agreement was reached between the agency and the Justice Department. And the agency now has to... Uh, complete a whole series of requirements and most likely the top one on the list is training. As I said before in, in the first episode that we had on this, training is probably the first thing that gets sacrificed whenever an agency has a budget crisis. It is immediately, they put training on, on the uh, guillotine and ready to slice its head off 
at um, the call of whatever council, mayor, or board that runs that specific jurisdiction, or sheriff uh, as a constitutional officer. Now, a lot of training, as we said, is mandated, so they have to have it. And they will, of course, continue to do so because it is a regulation. But every other, you know, the extra pickle, the extra mayonnaise on the sandwich may not occur. And as a result, the department starts to slide, slide. People start creating their own types of evolution. We also discussed in uh, the first episode, 64, that your supervisor, when you're in law enforcement, is responsible for training you. So regardless of your rank, the person just above you, that person is responsible for showing you. Now, before you chuckle, I know it, it is funny when I say that, but it is an actual truth because of that viscarious relationship and responsibility. When we get off this subject, I... I'm going to develop uh, another episode in 2019 that establishes the, the relationship between subordinate and supervisor. And the agency might have a concept of what that is, but the law, and especially federal law, has a definition of what that is. And both of them, not in every agency, are in sync so we'll, we'll discuss that in the future. And we're definitely going to elaborate on the subject that we have at hand today on several podcasts. I will always interject the definition of subject matter expert. Now, the subject matter expert or the SME, as we spoke about, necessarily how is that? title, certificate, position, whatever you want to call it, how is that obtained? Now, I'm going to take the opportunity and I'm going to read some specifics on the definition of both trainer and subject matter expert. Trainer, now listen closely now, pay attention, take out your crayons, get your cardboard boxes ready. Trainer studies mistakes. Trainers study mistakes. Now, there's usually a curriculum, a format that is built on any evolution, whether it's the agency mandate, whether it's a state mandate, or whether it's a federal mandate. Once that curriculum is built, then it has to be shown, taught. As a result, there's going to be, there will be hiccups along the road. Some things just didn't work according to plan or the instruction just wasn't good enough that a large amount of individuals trained missed something. So it also, trainers will talk about mistakes in policy. Now, I know you're eager to jump on policy and start screaming obscenities, but before you get to that, Policies are vague in itself, often questionable who even the author is, mysterious at times. But there are mistakes that are established through policy as 
the event occurs, they are studied by agencies through sometimes a panel, a committee of experts and trainers that are placed in position, and they'll come up with a new way of training or a new format on rewriting the policy. So trainers will study mistakes, correct those mistakes, and that is the basis of their existence, okay? So if we didn't have any mistakes in law enforcement, you'd never have an instructor. And that goes from basic all the way down. Subject matter experts study the excellence of the evolution. Every evolution that has been created was the mindset of somebody that thought it was brilliant. As a result, somebody becomes the subject matter expert of the evolution. That person studies the excellence of it. Now, it may be tweaked by a trainer, okay, or an agency, but there is an excellence to that evolution, or it will just disappear and die. Some examples, and we talked about it in firearms, was a study that the NYPD did back in 1969 and went all the way to 1980 where they did the SOP-9 where they studied all the shootings in the NYPD. As a result of that, they came up with a good configuration that a shooting incident will happen three to five seconds within three to five feet, and there'll maybe be about three to five rounds. That was based on all the statistics if I remember correctly, up to 6,000 shootings that occurred during that period involving officers of the NYPD. So as a result, they came up with that study. That was an empirical study. There are subject matter experts that have evolved as a result of that. Subject matter expert will also have a lived experience. It becomes credible. If I'm a bomb expert in detecting or or, um, disarming bombs, and I'm talking to you with a hook instead of a hand, instant credibility. Everybody's paying, paying attention in class. So credibility goes a long way in a subject matter expert. So the subject matter expert studies the excellence of the evolution And they basically sum up in a method of application on that specific evolution. How will that evolution be taught? How was it evolved? And why is it important? Usually there's a historical tidbit to that evolution from the subject matter expert. Because you don't know where you're going if you don't know where you've been. So I don't want to get too deep because... We start to think about lunch if I do that. Now, there is an empirical study that the subject matter expert always has to have in his or her mind. And then based on how they're training, they have to come up with a quantitative and qualitative approach on the curriculum that they've developed based on life experience or general expertise. As a result, their hypotheses are obtained, and now they can do analytical studies on 
are people retrain uh, obtaining the information correctly? How do I determine that as a subject matter expert? It's called readiness. You're ready to go. Now, that was a lot to unpack in like, what, two minutes? And, and you're looking at your watch already. I know how it goes. How long is he going to babble? So a couple of things that you also need to be a subject matter expert. You need experience, knowledge, aptitude, skill, lived experience, education, a proven record. All these things are now ready to be bestowed on that individual, the term subject matter expert. So I had the pleasure and the honor in my law enforcement career to have obtained two of those such titles. One was for uh, CIT, which is uh, crisis intervention, and the other one was for use of force. I will explain both how I got to that. The, the, the CIT aspect of evolution was something that I was dealt in in my career, and I studied it because it was an absence of dealing with individuals with mental illness and so forth in law enforcement. There was a, the only approach that existed in law enforcement was pass it off to the next guy as fast as you can. But there needed to be an establishment on how to care for the person, how to have that individual into custody, how to take them into custody, and how to release them back into society, how do they go through the court systems. All these things became very complex for an individual that had pretty much a medical condition inside the law enforcement world. And the other one was a use of force. Now, early on in my career, I was given, I probably had maybe about, uh, oh, I was a senior officer. I might have like two years under my belt. <laughs> and I was given by my supervisor an assignment. And the assignment was, uh, you know, use of force is, uh, again, back then use of force were done on a scale type of use of force. And we're going to get that in another podcast. And that type of use of force subject did, I did, that, that garbage, that was not really understood by a lot of people. When I first came in, the evolution had changed maybe several years prior, and it was still so confusing to a lot of people. You know, we used to smash him in the head and you take him to the hospital and that's the end of it. Now you got to write all this stuff. and uh, Wadi, wadi. Okay, so... I'm giving this detail. Why don't you look over some of the legal aspects and you do, you do pretty good on report writing and you you got a good sensible head. I mean, you know, you really know how to write this stuff and go ahead and give it a try. So that was the beginning of my career. Uh, during that career, I met a good friend of mine that was a lawyer at the time, later became a, a judge, and he guided me through the process of legal 101. So from knowing nothing, I started to grow more and more knowledgeable on my focus point area, which was force and the execution of force. When the industry later uh, changed, being the industry being law enforcement, into 
coming up with certain Supreme Court decisions, the law of the land, I got all excited about it, and I was in the right place at the right time. And most notably, I was in training. Now, some of the decisions that the Supreme Court had ruled on that really changed the focus of law enforcement and how they execute force was back in the early 90s or 1989. But in the lovely state of Florida where I was employed, it took many years after that before it became a state mandate. Reason being, there was a lot of cases that were dealing with that old protocol. So the state had a way to everything kind of like process through case laws were challenged and so forth. And they could go ahead and jump on that Supreme Court decision. So I was at the right place at the right time. I had studied prior to that my all but two years of my career force. I had the pleasure of sitting on the state attorney's office, a committee on crimes against law enforcement officers. I had uh, multiple interactions with uh, lawyers. I had multiple interactions with uh, professionals in the realm that said, you know what, kid, you might be onto something. So off I went, and I had to demonstrate now that I had the ability to teach it. Now, when I was given the protocol of use of force by my agency to start teaching, there were instructors already uh, in that evolution. They did a good job on what they were teaching, but what they were teaching was the death of PowerPoint. And, it, and I'm not singling them out because that's as far as the cookie could be baked. You couldn't bake it anymore. I brought a different approach to it. And I often told the people that you used to instruct with me, I don't instruct, I deliberate. And I will basically, you as my student would be my jury and I would convince you beyond a reasonable doubt how to use force. And I, that was my approach on how I did it. We looked at, studied, examined in the curriculum the actual case laws and stuff like that. Now, this was confusing to a lot of people in upper management and uh, some other people that some toes were stepped on, so they really didn't like it. And as a result, I started to become uh, that guy. You know, he thinks he knows everything. But I didn't have too many people that could challenge me point to point. I had some people that didn't even know terminologies that I was using at the time um, that they had heard but didn't really know the explanation of it. And that allowed me that allowed allowed me to really um, get involved more and more into it was sort of like the passion behind the push. So uh, I got involved in that. Now, I'm a firm believer, if you're going to train or teach in force, you should be somewhat involved as an instructor in the execution of force, which spells out defensive tactics or firearms. You should be in one of those two worlds. Because if you execute force as, let's say, physical force with your hands and defensive tactics, uh, 
that's only the first part of the evolution. The second part of the evolution is how in the world do I write it and how can I defend my actions? Well, if you don't understand that part of the evolution, you're just a half-witted officer or slash instructor. So you have to understand the full complexity to the discipline. Same thing goes for firearms, okay? Uh, ability, opportunity, and intent, the Jeopardy Triangle, which was something that is today more common. People know about it. But when I started spitting out the terminology early on, it was, what do you say? What? What about a triangle? So it, it was foreign. Thank God it's, it's reached law enforcement's ears pretty well. So with those three elements of ability, opportunity, and intent, if you have them present, you have a justified shooting. But we're not on that subject, so you don't need to uh, put a lot of pressure on your crayons and the cardboard. Slow down. We're back on subject matter expert. So in order for you to really understand what a subject matter expert is, I gave you a couple of definitions here about knowledge, skill, aptitude, lived experience, excellent record, education. Uh, we talked about that they are the person that does the study that are quantitative and qualitative in approach, that a hypothesis on the application of the evolution has to be analyzed. Yeah, that's a lot. All oh, this, I'm getting stressed out. This guy's talking way too fast. And of course, I need to make sure that the training that I'm giving or I'm teaching upon, people can execute it and at a level of excellence and proficiency. That way I know they are ready, called readiness, capability, right? So the readiness capability is there. What did I just say? Simple as this. Ring time. Ding, ding. You know, like a boxer. Ring time. If you don't have no ring time, then you shouldn't be opening your mouth. Got it? So you have to have that lived experience. It goes a long way. Now, during my career, I met a lot of people that were suits. Suits. They were individuals that were lawyers, the lawyers, and they taught, for example, use of force. And they pro taught from a, I would like to say, a clinical approach based on what the books say. So I look at the funny words in the book and I apply sort of like imaginary examples of what to do and what not to do. But I've never done this. But I'm book smart, so I kind of understand what it says in the book to do. Get the picture, kids? Limited. Limited scope. It's an empty suit that has a big mouth. But when you lived it and you kind of understand the applications of how to apply it, I'm not saying to be a lawyer. I'm not a lawyer, and I don't play a lawyer on TV. But I know how to execute the force, write the force, and testify to my actions. I, we don't need the lawyer. The lawyer can go do something else. So I, I worked with a lot of those people. Now, one of the things that was very, I never had the opportunity of speaking to somebody that could kind of like really understand on the two subject matter experts that 
uh, expertises that I had, it was hard to really talk to anybody about it other than the, the CIT aspect. There were people that were my colleagues and so forth that were up at the same realm. So there was a conversation of understanding. I might have been a little bit more of a visionary, not because they lacked it, but because I gained it from early on in my career, adding force to the to the evolution. Therefore, I guess my eyesight, I could see down the road a little bit more than they could. But they've done an excellent job, and they did an excellent job when they were there, and I was honored to work with them. But then we go into the, uh, the use of force aspect, and I really didn't have that individual that could really have a conversation with me. Uh, I was even quoted as uh, by one supervisor that said, you know, all that law stuff, that's nice, but it's all a, a bunch of BS. That's all I'll say about that. So if you don't understand that force is in different elements of execution, you're limited in scope and in storytelling because force comes not only in execution, but cleanup. Clean up on aisle three. If you don't know how to do it, you're lost. You're a lost child, lost in space. So you have to understand both. So during my training um, uh, assignment, I got to the pleasure of meeting and befriending a subject matter expert in force that was a consultant from the Department of Justice. And we established a relationship professional one and you know I could never compare apples to oranges this guy was at a different level 48 years in policing 32 years as chief of police wadi 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 so I couldn't even begin to to fit my shoes in there my, my foot in his shoes but I did take the opportunity to show my material and other than a little tweaking and a little, this is how you develop. This is how you deliver the punchline. He said, "Kid, you're on point. You're on point." He even suggested to me to follow up this uh, after retirement. I was honored that a person of that caliber actually took the time to explain to me a couple of little details and put me at that level of high. Forget notoriety, forget all that other baloney on high that what I was second guessing myself I was actually correct and I felt good about it. So subject matter expert, we're getting back to the term and we're going to wrap it up the subject matter expert here's where agencies really drop the ball. They forget that they have to support their subject matter expert so I have the aptitude, I have the skill, I have the knowledge, I have the lived experience. And if I get some other little cookies like an excellent record and a good education, I'm the full package. But it's not enough for the agency to say, good boy, and pet me on the top of the head. They've got to now uplift that subject matter expert, and they've got to start putting money 
to get that person to a higher level. Remember, we always talk about don't stay a midget, grow. So advanced courses for subject matter experts is a must. So if I'm an attorney and I'm cross-examining an incident and as we develop this case as uh, a liability case for the agency and I try to who trained you and so forth and we finally get to a subject matter expert, first thing I'm going to do is really explore the subject matter expert's credentials, his aptitude, his skill, his knowledge, and his excellent record, his education, his lived experience. And it's going to be hard for me as an attorney to really penetrate that that wall. But guess where I'm going to get him? Now, and since you've been in training, how many advanced courses have you taken and what were they? And you come up crickets. You're done. You're only as good as your agency made you. So agencies, not all of them, but they're out there and their multi-million dollar operations drop the ball because they don't uplift their subject matter experts. They think that they're the same pea in the pot with the trainer. I love trainers. I was a trainer. A trainer teaches what, boys and girls, in the back row? Mistakes. They capitalize on mistakes. They zero in on the correction of that mistake, and they train upon that. They train upon things that are in written policy, even if those policies are incorrect. Sure, as a good trainer, you might go out there and try to correct the mistake, but you're only as limited based on your rank. So in the meantime, you're gobbling up a whole story about something that you know is a mistake. Welcome to the world of training. But as a subject matter expert, you should be at a different realm. I had the honor also in my career to serve on several committees, not only within the agency, but out of the agency with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement and the state attorney's office and within my own agency as well and give back that knowledge that they took sometimes and sometimes they conveniently overlooked. So I felt fulfilled in my career, but as a subject matter expert, that person should be listened upon. Let me give you a quick example or story that happened to me. There were three subjects that were, my agency was under uh, federal supervision with an investigation from the Department of Justice. So there was an agreement between my agency and the Department of Justice on certain criteria that would be covered, not only in the rank and file, through policy, and of course, through training. So part of the recommendation was to have a panel uh, created of mid-level supervisors, better known as sergeants, to evaluate use of forces and to kind of be like, like a speed bump in between limbo and hell. I don't know, somewhere in the middle there. Didn't really understand what they were doing. I did. They were, it was just chaos, but they didn't. They didn't really understand the protocol. Oh, sure, they faked it pretty good, but they didn't understand. So several times I was called 
to review some video of an officer executing force and I'd have to give him my opinion. Well, to make a long story short, I, 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 I had done this multiple times with their group, nicest people in the world, and I'm not talking about their personality or their ability. The department did not set them up correctly for what they were about to get involved in. So when I sat on this panel uh, that they uh, asked me to sit on to review one of their decisions and some evidence as in the form of a film, I looked at it and they all came to an agreement, but I'm going to throw a curveball at them. So when I looked at it, I said, "Uh, officers uh, innocent, not guilty. And they looked and they said, what? And they just proceeded to give me an onslaught of reasons why the officer is guilty as charged. They were about to throw the book at him and charge him for taking a Twinkie when he's in fifth grade. They were serious. And then I told him, well, then there's a difference of opinion between yours and mine. So let's look at the report and see what the offer noted on this report to justify his force. And when I looked at it, it was crickets on it. And I said, well, who's his supervisor, the subject, the person that was the subject of the report? The subject of the report supervisor failed to train them, failed to show them how to do this. Therefore, we had a huge problem. This was not the problem about a specific incident. This was a problem and breakdown of what supervisors should be doing, which is mentoring their people. And therefore, that's why this mistake is happening in front of us. I could justify that use of force very easily, but the officer was missing a sentence in order to justify it. Obviously, anybody telling them this is what you need to write is called collusion. And that has nothing to do with Russia, so don't get excited on me. But it was the only way to really justify their actions. But for me to look at a video and say, guilty? No. There's always a way out if you're truly responding to force and not executing the force. Backworld, did you get that? If you're truly responding to force and not executing the force, somebody's got to get it. Somebody's got to understand what I just said. So, as as I left law enforcement, I still know that it's greatly needed. I know that there's a huge vacuum. I know that the court systems have tweaked force in such a way that it is so confusing for the average officer. And that a lot of agencies in, in America are dependent upon a suit. Some guy in a law uh, that studied law, a lawyer that's going to basically define what you do every day, every day, and they don't. And that, to me, is a scary predicament. Some agencies are much more motivated than others where they have subject matter experts on there working with those lawyers and a group of mid-managers and high-level managers that they all understand force. But not all agencies were created equal. So you, the listener, you want to become a subject matter expert? Well, whatever you're good at, 
get better at by advancing yourself and not becoming a dependent of the government with a handout saying, I'm going to wait for them to send me. Okay, don't be a welfare recipient in training in law enforcement. Go out, grab the bull by the horns, educate yourself like I did, so one day you can wear that whatever it was I wore during my career. I never had second doubts about my abilities, but I was always modest about it. And I don't know too many people that have ever challenged me in one based on what I know. Well, there we concluded. Trainer versus subject matter expert. I spoke a lot. This might be a repeat episode for you. Your crayon might have gotten worn out in the middle of this episode. Your cardboard box might have got humid or wet, and you didn't have enough time to write it all down, so you may have to listen to this again. But fear not. All you got to do is hit rewind and listen to it one more time. How do you get in contact with us? Well, RaiderCopNation.com. You scroll down to the bottom, all the icons pop up. Don't forget to continue listening to Test Everything. It's only five minutes about the powerful Word of God in your life that should uplift you and motivate you as God wants you to be motivated. Kids, as always, it has been my pleasure and my honor to be part of your world, that you have accepted me for this brief time on this this, uh, online episode that we have here to listen to an old-timer just ramble on. As always, my pleasure, my honor to be your host on Radio Cop Nation. This is Alpha Mike signing off. God bless you. God bless the agency that serves you. And God bless the United States of America. Through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam God bless America my home